Um, so we're looking at, during ordinary time, at following Christ and what that means in our ordinary lives, day to day. When I was in high school, uh, two of my buddies and I started a little group called uh, the Unknowns Anonymous Quartet Minus One. Um, we knew three songs. Um, this is going to be a three-part sermon plus one. Right? So, and I want to talk about this mission that we're on, um, this mission of following Jesus in our ordinary lives day to day. Um, and following this text in our gospel, um, we've, we learn a lot about this mission. For instance, first of all, we learn about the mission's context. In fact, uh, just before this chapter in Luke's gospel, there's a very significant verse in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus is setting out for Jerusalem, and Luke writes, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's the turning point in Luke's gospel. Jesus sets his face for Jerusalem. And then that part of the story takes place here in chapter 10 with this mission. It's become a contest he is the Lamb of God, in verse 3, who sends his people like lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, Jesus has already experienced some of this. In chapter 8 in Luke's Gospel, he was refused hospitality after casting out a demon in a man. In chapter 9, he is refused hospitality in the town of the Samaritans. And so, in this passage in Luke 10, there's judgment mentioned. I mean, there's a serious choice that's being impressed upon us in Luke's account of what Jesus is up to right now. We receive or we reject Christ's ambassadors. And Luke tells us, Jesus tells us too, that if those who receive or reject his ambassadors is the same thing as receiving or rejecting Christ. It's a choice to enter the kingdom of God and experience his peace, his shalom, his salvation, his wholeness, or to reject it, to move toward life or to move toward death. And the thing is, is this isn't about preference. If you are in need of rescuing in the water at Huntington Beach, you don't talk about preferences. You just need salvation, and you're going to get that, or you're not going to get anything at all. We, uh, we the church, we're not like the ice cream truck that goes down our street to the sound of an annoying tune, <laughs> offering a variety of frozen desserts to the neighbors. We are not vendors hawking a variety of religions and spiritualities for people to choose from. We are ambassadors of the one who said there is only one way to wholeness, to salvation, to peace. Only one. And that is precisely what got Jesus in trouble. And it's what's going to get the ones that he sends out on his mission in trouble. And I guarantee you, it will get you in trouble.
So that's the mission's context. We set our face with Jesus for Jerusalem. And there's only one way to get there and to get past it. And then there's the mission's agents. It's interesting that um, in chapter 8, when Jesus uh, heals this demoniac, um, he commissions this man after he's been uh, healed. In fact, in Luke's gospel, this is the first person to be commissioned to go out with the message. The text reads in chapter 8, verse 39, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. He's the first one in Luke's gospel to be commissioned with a message of Jesus. And then in the next chapter, chapter 9, Jesus commissions the 12. And he tells them, I want you to go out and I want you to proclaim and to heal. In other words, I want you to share the gospel in word and deed. Uh, you may have heard uh, someone say to you, uh, um, St. Francis of Assisi once said, uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I have pet peeves, and one of my pet peeves is that quote, all right? First of all, I don't know if St. Francis said it. None of us do. And secondly, I don't know what they're asking us to do. Pantomime, you know? You know, like... <laughs> you got it? No, when you give a cup of cold water, you proclaim, I'm giving this to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told them, I want you to go out and I want you to proclaim and to heal. Preach the gospel and do the good works. And now he sends out, well, the texts are varied, uh, 72 or 70. Uh, maybe two guys got lost on the way, I don't know. But um, the point is, is that there are manuscripts that say 70 and there's some, our text says 72. Actually, the number 70 was a number that was significant uh, for representing the whole world. And that's why in this text, that is a significant number besides the fact that Jesus is sending out a lot of folks. It anticipates the worldwide mission in Acts, Luke's second volume. But in verse 2 of this text that we have today, Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And so he's sending out these 70 or 72 and he's sending them out for the harvest and asking them to pray for even more. Now, Jesus, you see, he doesn't leave the ministry, his ministry, to a few people. The first time we were in Sudan um, and we were teaching at a uh, Bible college, um, I went around asking my students and others that we met uh, in the church at a time when there was a civil war in Sudan and, and that Christians were being oppressed. Um, I said, uh, so what, what's your position in the church? And I'll tell you, one out of, three out of four would say, I'm an evangelist. Not a pastor, not a teacher. I'm an evangelist. Jesus sends us out as a team. Here he sends them out in pairs, two by two. This is not Lone Ranger work. I mean, even Lone Ranger need Tonto, right? This is not Lone Ranger work. We are in this together as church as we follow Jesus Christ in our ordinary lives. 
And Paul makes that clear in the Galatians passage that we have before us today because he tells us in, in the first five verses, he says, um, command, he commends us to hold each other accountable, to pray for each other, to restore the fallen brothers and sisters, to bear one another's burdens. Why? Because we are in this together. One of the reasons that we, the church, are in this together is that we need each other. We need to get together with each other every week. We need to come back to this gathering of Christians each week to be reminded of the good news, to restore brothers and sisters who have been beat up during the week, to share stories of victories, because it's not easy to remember that God is in charge and what mission we are really on when CNN and Fox are blaring in the background all week. And we need to come back and hear what the real story is. I have to come back to folks who are on this road trip with me and be reminded of, of what one of my favorite hymns says. This is my Father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be won. That's why I need to come back every week and join with all of you to be reminded that that's the real story that we're in. This is what keeps us going. We're not sent out in the midst of a wolf pack all by ourselves. So, that's, that's the mission's agents. But there's urgency to this mission. There's urgency to this mission. In Galatians chapter 6 that we looked at in verses 9 to 10, Paul says, let's not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, at harvest time, the harvest that Jesus was praying for, in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As we have opportunity. So, so in the text, Jesus tells the, the 70, travel light, don't greet anybody, stay in one place, and eat what's set before you. I'm paraphrasing. In other words, I think what he's saying is, look, the mission's urgent. Don't worry about that other stuff. And just have a single-minded focus. I mean, isn't that what Galatians 6.14 is all about? Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And we sang basically that in the third stanza of the first song that we were led in this morning that we only glory in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The rule of Benedict, uh, which I read a little bit of every day, I, I love, the when, at the end of the rule of Benedict, toward the end, Benedict wrote, above all, prefer nothing to Christ. Prefer nothing to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Nothing else matters in the end. Travel light. Just stay in one place. Eat what's set before you and focus on what is central.
Beyond that, Jesus doesn't give much more uh, of, a, of instruction to these 70. And I think it's because it's not rocket science, you know? I mean, we, we can have huge conferences on evangelism and figure out, you know, all the steps involved. And I grew up with that, you know, we had the, the four laws and all. But it's really not rocket science to go and tell people what the Lord has done for you and what the Lord can do for them. In fact, that's what Jesus says. As we have opportunity, just proclaim the gospel and heal. I mean, isn't that the Great Commission? In the original Greek, the Great Commission reads this way. In your going, make disciples. In your going, make disciples. Wherever you go during your daily routine, make disciples. So that's the mission's urgency. Focus, just do it. Get her done. And then we're promised victory, the mission's victory. I mean, first, it were promised victory because Jesus reminds us that he is the Lord of this mission. He is the Lord of the harvest, verse 2. And in verse 17, when they come back, they say, Lord, Lord, in your name, we saw all this happen. We don't go on mission dependent on some political power for the church. We don't need it. We don't need some special privileges in society. We don't need marketing techniques. We are guided by the Lord of the harvest. He's in charge. He directs it. He accompanies it. And he ensures its success, either in terms of judgment or salvation. He gets the work done. And we need to remember that during the week when we're bombarded with all kinds of other ways of doing this. And then it's not only that he's Lord of the harvest and that's why it's going to be victorious, but the kingdom, he says, has come near. Did you catch that? Twice in this passage he says, the kingdom has come near. I mean, it, it came near, we are told in the text, when people were healed because that's evidence of the kingdom of God. When people are made whole again, that's evidence that the kingdom of God is among us. And we will pray for that kingdom to come down on earth as it is already established in heaven during the Eucharist today. Because the kingdom has already come near. During this week, you may see evidence that the kingdom has come near. Somebody's healed. Somebody's made whole again. Somebody has been rescued in their lives. Or maybe you will see Satan fall like lightning. But the kingdom's not complete yet. It's here, but it's not here completely yet. And that's why we go on this mission. In Luke's gospel, there are still going to be chapters to go before Jesus is in his final battle with the adversary, after which he will ascend to continue to direct the mission until it's complete. And by the way, the enemy that he's after is not... It's not just Iran or North Korea. No. The enemy is any power, any person, any program that stands in the way of God's life-giving shalom. 
No nation, no people group, no geographical location, no political party is exempt from the possibility that it could be hijacked by the adversary and stand in the way of what God is up to in bringing us wholeness and shalom. And so, as somebody has said, we are between D-Day and V-Day, right? Jesus has landed on the beaches of Normandy, and we know who's going to win the war, but there's still a lot of battles yet to fight. As the great Protestant theologian Karl Barth said, we're just engaged in mopping up exercises. And one day, V-Day will come. We are Jesus' people whose lives are directed by what is coming, by that V-Day, by our future. You and I are not determined by our past. That's what Jesus saved us from, our past. We are being directed by our future, by the future of God. And so we take a cue from Paul who writes that I press on and I press on in Philippians, he says, I press on toward the goal. I press on toward that prize, forgetting what lies behind and straining ahead to what lies ahead. Sounds simple until you realize that so much of what you and I are going to hear this week is going to urge us to live on the basis of the past. To be bound by memories that haunt us. I think of that every time I see that bumper sticker that says, never forget 9-11. We need to move on because God will redeem that. Disciples of Jesus know that we cannot allow that event or any other event, even the one that took place last week, we cannot allow any event other than the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ to be the defining moment, the defining moment in the history of God's creation. And that's why we celebrate this table. Never forget, do this in remembrance of me. That is the defining moment in history. In fact, because we're to press on toward the goal of God, God's restoration of creation, all that is evil in the past will be remembered by God in a way that redeems it for his purposes. Let me say that again. All that has happened in the past, all the evil in the past, will be remembered by God in a way that redeems it for his purposes. Because unredeemed evil is hell. So we go from here, church. We go from here during this week as hopeful people, joining the one and the 12 and the 70 into our neighborhoods, businesses, schools, families, city streets, suburban malls and parks. As the church dispersed once we leave here because we're still the church 24-7 after we leave. And we go where Christ sends us preaching and healing into the futility and into the blighted and dark places of the world where people are addicted and alienated and diseased and dying, where spiritual powers oppress and enslave people, and where social conditions perpetuate idolatry and classism and racism and sexism, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God that God will establish his peace and his justice, his shalom on this earth once and for all. 
And then we'll return next week and share the wonders that God has shown us. And maybe some of us will be able to say, Lord, in your name, we saw even the demons submit to us. So take just a few moments as we reflect to obey the Lord's command in verse 2 of this gospel passage. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. But as you reflect and pray that, be careful. Because God oftentimes uses us to answer our own prayers. Amen.